You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Uh, welcome to church. We're so glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, if you're guests with us, we, we truly are honored. We don't just say that because that's the thing we say. Uh, we are honored to have you with us this morning. Uh, as we conclude our series on prayer, we've been talking about prayer uh, for the past five weeks, and uh, we're going to celebrate baptism in just a little bit at the end. And actually, um, our kids from our kids are actually going to come over because we believe in celebrating together as a family. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. But uh, we, we kind of back up for just a moment and kind of give us a recap. Uh, Week one, we talked about what is prayer, the the power of prayer, and the the idea that if we don't understand the power of what prayer can do, uh, then we'll never do it. We'll we'll never pray, because if we think that prayer is just saying words that just fall on deaf ears and don't understand that prayer has the power to save, to heal, to redeem, to provide, um, that God uh, intercedes and changes our story when we pray, um, then we'll never do it. Uh, in week two, we, we talked about the example in the Lord's Prayer of, of how Jesus gave us a model to pray, not, not just words that we recite, uh, but, but this, this posture that we're supposed to take up, this, this posture of our heart uh, more than just the words. Uh, and then the third week, we talked about uh, what happens when we pray and we don't see God move. Uh, what happens when we have unanswered prayers? What, what do we do with that when we pray and we pray and we pray? And some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, and then the next week, Joe shared with us the, this, this uh, connection between prayer and worship and how it's a, a lifestyle we're to take up. Um, and, then, uh, and then last week, we talked about dangerous prayers. Um, this idea that we can get into a rut sometimes of praying very safe prayers, very... Um, self-centered prayers about ourselves, and the, the idea is for us to step out and to pray these, these dangerous prayers uh, that change us and hopefully change the world around us. So if you miss any of the weeks, I want to encourage you to check out our podcast uh, or to listen to our messages from our Simpsonville campus, from, uh, from our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Um, it's, it's a great way to stay caught up on the, the life of the church. We don't preach the same messages. We're in the same series, but the messages are totally different. So uh, if you listen to podcasts, uh, do that. It's on Apple and on Spotify um, to hear the heartbeat of what God is doing in the church. And uh, I'm excited about today. Um, I'm excited about today for, for many reasons because I, I believe that we are on this um, this threshold of God doing something um, in his church. As we get to celebrate um, people getting baptized, those that have said yes to Jesus and are identifying publicly uh, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and saying, hey, my, my life belongs to him. Um, on the same day that we are starting Rooted, um, our, our discipleship program, and we have had so many people that signed up to be a part of that. Um, if you miss the boat, we'll make room for you. Please let us know. Uh, but I truly believe that God is going to do something really special um, in this next season of a church. So I'm really, really excited about today. And it's my son's birthday, so it's kind of a cool day. So um, happy birthday, buddy. Um, but we're going to continue with our series as we wrap up. Um, today I want to talk about when to pray. We talked about how, we talked about the, the why, um, but what about when? Uh, when, when should we pray? Uh, to answer that, I want to I show you a couple of pictures. Uh, these are two climbers 
Um, you may have watched the movie Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen. Uh, they climbed the Dawn Wall at Yosemite. Um, it is a 3,000-foot sheer granite face, um, and they climbed it. Uh, they had a safety rope to catch them if they fell, uh, but they spent 19 days straight on the edge, uh, the cliff of this mountain. Um, their, their hands, they would, at night, they would tape and they would actually super glue, I've got a picture of their hands, super glue their, their fingers back together, uh, the, the cuts and the bruises uh, with tape in order to get them to heal to be able to climb the next day. Um, they had tents that are strung from a rope that a person made and they just lay there. I mean, this is awesome, but nah. Like sleeping in a tent that's suspended thousands of feet above the ground seems dumb, okay? But for 19 days, they climbed it and they finally made it to the top of this difficult uh, route that they uh, scaled out. If you want to see a movie, it's called The Dawn Wall. There's a movie out about it. Um, but it's just absolutely like mind blowing. We, my wife and I, we got to go to Yosemite years ago and we got to see this and it's just, it, it, it blows your mind how, how big this is. And they, the fact that they climbed it and some of the grips that they had are, they're not like a climbing wall. It's like, oh, there's a half a centimeter. And so we're going to put all of our weight on that. Um, it's just absolutely crazy to me to see that. Um, but the reality is, is that you can, if you've ever climbed or ever uh, been suspended with a rope, the, the only way to actually trust it is to, is to put all your weight on it, is to actually realize that it can hold you, to actually realize that it's not just a, a safety net, but it's, 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 a, it's what can catch you, it's what gives you support. And the, the reality is, is that when we try to do things on our own strength, on our own ability, when we try to scrap and claw our way through life, we, we get weary and we get tired. And the reality is that the message of the gospel is that no matter how hard we try to climb, we can never make it to the top. In our own strength, there's not enough that we, you and I can do to actually climb it, to actually get there. But yet we strive and we try to go through life doing things in our own strength. But the truth is, is that Jesus came to be the way for you and I, so that we don't have to operate with our, our bloody fingers to try to climb to this top of this mountain called life, but yet we have a, a God who came, who gives us strength, who empowers us to actually get through it, that we can trust that, not just as a safety net, because that's generally what we do if we're being honest. We try to do it all on ourselves, and then when we can't anymore, we're like, Jesus save me, Jesus help. And that's how we view prayer. We try to do as much as we can sometimes, and then when we get to the point where we're like, I can't go any further, that's when we're like, maybe I should pray. But the reality is, when we should pray is always. Like, there shouldn't be time when we're not praying. Which leads us to the first point I wanna make today, is that prayer is less about the words we speak and it's more about the rhythm we live. Jesus came not just to be our lifeline, not to just be our get out of hell card, but to be our strength, our provider, our protector, our way. 
And when we view prayer, when we, when we realize that, that, that he's invited us into a relationship with him, that prayer isn't just about the words that we have to say, it's about a rhythm in which we live in our life. And so if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 15 um, as we unpack this uh, for the first eight verses. Uh, but, but in my, I'm a, I, I think weird, but sometimes we view prayer as like a telegram, as like a, we get to a moment, we do this thing. Some of you are like, what's a telegram? Um, this, you know, this, this means of communication, this, this formal thing that we write it down and somebody's tapping away at it and it's, it's sent and that's it and we don't hear back for months. But it's, it's, prayer is not just this thing that we, we send up, but prayer is like this, this open walkie-talkie of constant communication. It's not this one and done type thing that we, we make an appointment and, and have this thing that we can do called pray. It's this open communication that happens consistently and continually. Jesus kind of explains this in John chapter 15. God's word says this. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. That seems like it doesn't make sense, right? You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I and them will produce fruit. If you underline in your Bible, underline this next sentence. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the truth. Without Jesus, we can't do anything. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Now, kids, that's not like a, that's not a genie in a bottle right there, <laughs> right? The asking comes from after being connected. We'll get to that in a minute. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Um, grapevines can grow hundreds of years old. In fact, one of the largest grapevines ever that's in existence is in England. I got a picture of it. It's called the Great Vine, not Grape, Great Vine at Hampton Court in England. Um, and it was transplanted under a dude named Lancelot, not the Lancelot, but Lancelot, in 1769. Um, it is a massive, that's the stem of it in the back. Um, the biggest year in 2001, it produced like 850 pounds of grapes. Um, it's, it's, a massive, massive vine. They can grow for hundreds of years. And after about 20 years of a grapevine growing, it actually starts producing smaller and smaller crops. But the grapes actually get better and better and better as it ages. The taste of a grape changes. The, the sugar content changes of a grape. And so as it matures and as it grows older, it has less fruit, but actually better fruit. What's cool, they actually sell this fruit like outside so people can go to England and actually purchase these grapes of one of the oldest and largest vines. But I saw this um, 
they, they talked about how this vine is pruned, and this tends to be consistent with most grapevines. It says, in February, the buds begin to break. A fertilizer is applied to the soil inside the glass house and the vine border outside. Once the new shoots are about two and a half to five centimeters or so long, it's time for debudding to reduce the number of new shoots. The remaining shoots grow until they're 12 to 18 inches long. Then they have their growing point pinched and are tied with raffida. Immediately after flowering, the number of bunches are reduced and the remaining bunches are thinned. During the growing season, the vine is given liquid fertilizer, and late in the summer, some, leaves, some leaf thinning is carried out, allowing sunlight to fall upon the ripening fruit. And then in November and December, when the plant's fully dormant, the fruiting spurs are pruned back to one or two buds. What's interesting is like, if you just let it grow wild, it actually won't grow much fruit. But the way that they train a grapevine to produce fruit is to constantly trim it. It's to constantly trim off the, the ones that are just growing that don't have enough buds. And then they thin them out and they thin them out so that the fruit that is actually produced is better. There's more of it. Now, in, in my mind, like more is more, right? Like more leaves, more branches, more fruit. It, it doesn't work that way. The best way for it to be cultivated for it to bear fruit is to go through pruning after pruning after pruning after pruning. It's not to stunt the vine. It's not to limit the vine. It's actually to help the vine to grow. And what Jesus is saying, he says, hey, I'm the vine and we are the branches. And when we stay connected to the vine, the byproduct of that is fruit. When we stay in connection with Jesus and when we stay in, in constant communication and constant prayer and a constant relation and constant reading God's word, as we remain in the vine connected to Jesus, there's going to be pruning in our lives. Now, that's not fun. No one's like, ooh, I hope I go through a pruning season soon, right? Or I hope that God starts stripping things away in my life to make me better. No one prays those prayers, right? But a byproduct of us remaining in constant fellowship with Jesus is a pruning process. And God doesn't prune us to punish us. God prunes us to grow us. God prunes us so that we can bear more fruit, so that we can have greater things developed in us and through us. What do I mean by fruit? Fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Those things, I, what's interesting is I, I've never seen someone like plant a vineyard for the leaves, right? So I just hope to grow a bunch of leaves. I mean, that's kind of how my gardens end up anyways, right? I, I plant stuff and the tomatoes is like, we're going to grow and then we're going to have one little tomato. Um, or hey, there's a bunch of, of cucumbers and then the deer come and eat them and then there's like four cucumbers we ate all summer long. I'm like, I'm glad I tended to you. Uh, but no one plants a garden for the leaves. They plant them for the fruit. You plant a, a, a tree for the fruit. You plant a vine for the, for the fruit, not for the leaves. And what's also interesting, I've, I've never seen a vine try hard. I like, I hope I grow fruit, Right? It'd be weird if you walk past a vineyard or an apple orchard and the trees are just like, 
you know, focused, like trying to produce fruit. They just sit there and do nothing but grow and produce fruit. The fruit in your life and in my life is not your responsibility. That's not up to you. Now, the model of the world is to try to climb and climb and climb and get your own fruit. The message of the gospel is you abide in Jesus and a byproduct of that relationship is an abundance of fruit. I don't know about you, that sounds a whole lot better than trying to get it on your own. The byproduct of us abiding and being in a relationship with Jesus is fruit. And he's saying when, when you do that, when you're in his word, when you're, when you're under his authority, when you're, when you're doing that, he's saying you're going to ask for things and you're going to receive them. And we're going to ask things according to his word. We're going to ask things like, not like against God's ways, against God's will. We're going to, because we're in such close relation, those things are going to happen. Living a godly life, being a light to others, telling people about what Jesus did in your life, those kind of fruit. God is going to naturally bear in you as he prunes you and as he refines you and as he, as he grows us. And when we do this, verse 8 says, when we produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. So as, that, as God grows us, as we stay in a relationship with Jesus and we bear fruit, that actually brings glory to God. So the closer that we abide, our, our job, our responsibility is just to cling, to cling to the vine and to trust that God is the gardener that he knows what he's doing. He made us, he created us, he wants what is best for you and I. And with that comes some pruning, comes some thinning, comes some stretching. But if we remain in the vine, he will produce fruit in you and I. So this, this sounds like a constant relationship, right? So when do we pray? The question is when, like when, when, when is the, the, the time that we should pray, well, the answer is one, is always, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's not this, yes, we set up time in our, in our life that we, we make margin. We've been talking about making margin to spend time in God's word, to spend time in silence and in solitude. Those things are great, and we, we should do that, but there's also this rhythm that we can pray all day long. You can pray when you're driving. You can pray when you're working. You can pray. Some of y'all need to pray when you're working, or when you're driving down Woodruff Road, like, let's be honest. Dear Lord. No, um, but it, it's a constant, like, hey, thank you, Lord, for this day. God, thank you that there is, I'm running late, and there is no traffic on the road. It, it, it's a constant communication, but there's other specific times that we should pray. Like, there's moments when it would not be wise to not pray. I know it's a double negative, so it's wise to pray. First one is when we have a need. I mean, God's word is that we should pray without ceasing, but when we have a need, we should pray. That God is our provider. He meets all of our needs. Uh, Bible says, like, is anyone suffering sickness? You should pray. Is anyone going to go through hardship? You should pray. Is anyone, is anyone happy? You should pray. Like there, there's a constant theme is if we have a need, we should pray. And, and scripture also tells us, Jesus himself tells us that if he takes care of the lilies of the field and the sparrows, 
he meets their needs and they're not worried and they're not anxious, they're not fretting about the next meal or where they're going to sleep at night, certainly doesn't God provide for our needs? So we should ask. He knows the needs before we ask him, but he, he wants this relationship, so we should ask. If we need wisdom, we should ask him for it. He'll graciously give it to us. So when we are in need, this, this, we tend to be a very independent culture. Um, you know, it's a Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. Like, we, we, can, we can do life on our own. But God's word clearly says that we're to come to him with our need, and he meets it. So yes, we should pray when we have need. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 19, he says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. You know there's no extent to which you can continue to ask God. I know somebody needs to hear this, but God is not tired of your prayers. God is not up in heaven like, ah, here they go again. God delights in the sound of his children's voice. And God knows your need. Maybe there's a shift that you need to ask God so that you actually see him as the provider, not yourself. So ask God when you have a need. Second thing we should always pray is when we mess up. All of us sin. Right? Earth-shattering news, right? All of us sin. We all do. So what do we do when we do that? Now, we strive to not sin, but Scripture is very clear that when we sin, the, the great thing that we get to do is to confess and repent and ask for forgiveness. And you know the promise on the other side of that is not that God is holding his arm, far keeping us, keeping us away, but it says that God will not reject a repentant heart. That if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive them. So when we mess up, confess. We should pray. We should go to God because no one else can forgive sin. You can't fix it yourself. We can't, we can't fix our own messes. Only God can. And so when we, when we mess up, and here's, here's what the enemy does. And we, we said this before, but the enemy always says to keep it hidden. The enemy always says, you know what? Don't bring that to the light. It will go away, on, go away on its own. And that's the enemy. Because where sin festers and grows and, and, and develops into, a, into cancer is in the dark. But when we expose things to the light, when everything is laid bare and naked before the Lord, there is healing and there is freedom and there is forgiveness. So don't listen to the voice of the enemy that says, hey, keep it hidden. Nobody needs to know about that. Now bring it to the light, confess it, and your God who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins. So when we have a need, we should always pray. When we mess up, which is on the daily, we should pray. The third thing is before major decisions. I am constantly reminded that I am generally, usually, most of the time, not the smartest person in a room, okay? Even if it's a room of like three people. I, I understand that. I know that. And the beautiful thing is that I don't have to operate in my own wisdom. I don't. If I operated in my own wisdom, we'd all be in trouble. But the beautiful thing is that when we ask God for wisdom, he gives it to us. All of us. 
Every single person that's confessed Jesus is Lord, when we ask for wisdom, he gives it to us. Now, sometimes it's not like in the moment, like, hey, here's what you should do. But the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and gives us the wisdom that we need. So when we make major decisions about, um, about what college to go to, about who to marry, uh, about what career path to take, uh, about changing jobs, about uh, investments, uh, about things that, that can change the, like the, the course of your family, whether or not to move, which house to buy, like major big decisions, not like, do I want a number one or a number two combo? Like, ah, you know, like, just pick something, okay? They're both bad for you. No, uh, but when we have major decisions, it's foolish of us to not ask God for wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. So why wouldn't we? None of us want to look back and be like, man, that was a boneheaded idea. I, I, I messed up big time with that decision. No, we want to say, man, I'm so thankful that God led. That God led in this area and I was obedient to follow. It doesn't mean that it's always easy, but I would rather be on a, on a path that's hard knowing that God has me there than on a path that's easy out of the will of God. And that's the truth for all of us. You'd rather be in pain in the will of God than having a good old time outside of it. Because the, the road is narrow that leads to life, and few find it. But broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many do. So when we have major decisions, we should ask God. And lastly, um, well, last way, not the last point, um, when we don't know what to pray. I don't think I'm the only one, but... There's been seasons in my life, there's been struggles, there's been battles in, in ministry and in life that you just, you don't know what to pray. You get to a point where you're like, God, I don't, I don't know which way to pray, I don't know what to pray for, I don't even have sometimes have the words to pray. Um, what, what do you do in moments like that when you're just like, you're either exhausted emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that you're just, you're wore out, you're ragged, you're just... You don't know what to do. When you don't know what to pray, here's the beautiful thing and the promise that we have in Romans 8. It says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with, own, with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What's so crazy to me is that even when we don't know what to pray, if we posture ourselves in a, in a place of just spending time with the Lord, of just being still, of being quiet, just just calling out to the Lord, that when we don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit gives us words, that he prays on our behalf, and then in heaven, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, like this, the whole Trinity is working on our behalf when we don't know what to do. That's awesome. 
And so for you and I, when we, when we just get to moments when we just are, are weary or tired and we're just like, Lord, I, don't, I pray for this way. Do I pray for that way? Do I, do I, God, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm exhausted of this. What do, what do I do? That the cries of our heart from the Holy Spirit, that God knows what that is. God knows what we need. God knows what we're feeling. God knows what we're experiencing. And he hears it. And he intercedes on our behalf. Lastly, as we conclude, is that success does not come from striving, but from abiding. Success in our life, success in our, if you could even call it success in our prayers, but the true measure of success in our lives is not striving to do, but it's in abiding. Now, a couple of years ago for, for Christmas, my kids in their stockings got these little like uh, slingshot things. It's like a, uh, you, throw, you slingshot it up in the air and it's got like a propeller thing and it spins back down to the ground. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen one of those toys? And it lights up and, and so they're outside, we're, we're shooting these things off into the sky and getting them like super high and they're coming down. And, and so as the dad, I'm like, you want to go really high? Because I, I, can, I, can, I got longer arms, dude. I can stretch this. And so I'm slinging this thing like super high in the, in the air. And my kid's are like, that's awesome. I'm the hero. Dad's awesome. Amazing. That's in my head. They're not saying that. Um, but I'm, I'm like this plastic thing, this little plastic slingshot is like bending over doubled. And I'm like, got it stretched beyond its means. And I'm slinging it through. And finally, I'm like, we're going to go really high. And so I pull that sucker back. And I'm like, I think it's going to break. And I let go. And I wasn't angled properly, and that thing ran right into my hand. And I blessed the Lord. Uh, no, I, I was, oh, I was so mad at myself. I'm like, it hurt. Like, my, my finger turned purple. It hurt so bad. And I'm like, this is miserable, but a really good sermon illustration in this. Uh, but, but it's so true. We, we can spend so much energy striving and trying to do ourselves and trying to bear fruit and trying to do all this. But God is saying, that's not the way it works. You're not going to get more on your own. Yes, we have responsibilities and things we're called to do, like our part of this. But it's not found in, in striving. It's found in abiding. And for all the type A people, this, this makes you antsy. Because you, you feel like it's like, oh, I can't just sit still. I gotta, I gotta be doing something. I gotta, I gotta be cleaning. I, gotta, like, I, I stress clean sometimes, right? I, you, you gotta be doing something active. The thought of just sitting and trusting God like makes your blood boil. Let's be honest. Sitting in traffic, sitting in a line, you're like, this is so inefficient. I could be doing 10 things right now. But you know what? God is saying the, the way that we have growth, the way that we see him move in our life is not in the rat race of how much I can do, but it's in the how can I stay connected to the vine? How can I cling on to Jesus daily? How can I spend time just being in God's word? How can I spend time worshiping and, and just praying daily? Like every, every moment that I can. 
How, how can I stay so connected? And the, the, the more connected that we stay, the more fruit that is produced. My wife and I, we went uh, to an apple orchard this, this week, and I saw these trees, and it just connected with this, this message. These, these small trees, I got a picture of one, uh, that just had so many apples on it. I think I have it. Possibly have it. There it is. It, like some of them were, were like this tall, but there's, there's just apples covering it and the branches are on the ground. And I'm like, I would expect that many apples from a, a giant tree. But it's gone through the pruning process. It's, it's been cultivated. It's been dug around. It's been fertilized. It's, it's had all of this done. And the byproduct is an abundance of fruit. For you and I, the fruit, the success seeing God move in your life and in my life is not done in striving, but it's in how well we can abide. I'm gonna read this over us. The next few verses after Jesus talks about the vine, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. Saying as we grow, as we love, as we serve, his desire is to produce lasting fruit in you. Not the other people, but in you. So maybe this week, may you, from here going forward, maybe the shift needs to be not in what can I do more of, but how can I remain more in the will and in the presence of Almighty God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you don't call us to strive, to toil, to work, to to scratch ahead, but God, you call us into a rhythm of abiding with you, being connected to the vine, being connected to to your power and your presence and in your will. So God, I, I thank you that when we pray, as we are praying right now, God, that you are in heaven, that you know every heart, that you know every battle and every struggle that we are facing, God, that you see the hurt and even the pain. And God, your desire is that as your children that we would ask, knowing that you are good and gracious and that you meet your children's needs. So Father, I pray that we would grow more and more dependent upon you and less upon our own power, our own strength, our own knowledge. That we would trust you to do what only you can do. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you for the celebration that we get to have and in 
baptizing our brothers and sisters in Christ and celebrating new life. All for your glory, all for your name. And we ask all this in that powerful name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church. Church.